Voices serves as the megaphone for individuals who have endured transformational change. By highlighting trials and triumphs, our desire is to create a safe space for pivotal conversations, which in turn will deepen the story and provoke hope for you, our listeners. As you may know, change is never easy, but it is inevitable. You are not alone in what you're facing. Your transformation is possible, purposeful, and now. And here's Aaron Wiggum, founder and managing director of New You, with this week's guest. Welcome to another edition of New Voices. My name is Aaron and I am the host here of New Voices. We have a wonderful episode that you're just going to enjoy. I know it. Uh, this man who I'm bringing to you today, he is a founder. He is a serial, serial entrepreneur. He is the leader of a venture capital fund. He is a father. He is a husband. He is an ecosystem stimulator. Um, he is a, a thought leader in all areas. And um, I've known him to be a friend over these last three years. Uh, I bring to you none other than the one and only Michael Bosch. Mike, welcome to New voices. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I, I want to start at the very beginning, Mike. Take us back to growing up in SoCal and what that experience was like um, as, as, as young Michael Bosch. So I was born in San Francisco, but raised in Los Angeles. Um, my parents uh, both worked in nonprofits in the Jewish community. Uh, they were, I would describe both of them as people that were really focused on making the world better. Mm-hmm. Um and a very kind of a early influence in my life was my grandfather, my mom's dad, uh, who was a World War II veteran, kind of GI Bill guy. I think he sold vacuums door to door at one point. Ooh. And, um, and at eight years old, he taught me the business of lemonade. Mm. And at a quarter cup in an intersection a block from my house, uh, kind of a busy intersection, and I would sell lemonade for a quarter. And, um, and I recognized there was like four corners of the intersection. I would go to cars when the red lights and, and there's lots of traffic in L.A., and I was only able to really cover one quarter corner at a time. Right. And so I hired four of my friends the summer of nine and mm-hmm. paid them $5 a shift, which was two and a half hours. And aside from the fact that, um, a, it was, you know, child labor, you know, <laughs> sweatshop labor below minimum Danger. wage, no low food certificate, no, they're not paying taxes. Like yeah. I don't know the statute limitations of these things. Yeah. Um, I learned the business of revenue, cost of goods sold, mm-hmm. you know, labor and yeah. supply and, and demand. And supply and demand. Yeah. And and you know, made like five thousand dollars the summer of nine. Nice. Which is like today's dollars is like, I don't know, like twenty thousand dollars or something. Yeah. And um and so I've always kind of had a thing for business, but but at the same time, both you know, both my parents were nonprofit and my mom kind of made me volunteer uh at her nonprofit. Like kind of for every hour I'd sell lemonade, my mom would have me volunteer uh an hour as well. And so I volunteered in the morning. And so lemonade in the afternoon. My mom actually worked for what was called the Shoah Foundation and interviewed Holocaust survivors because mm-hmm. um, my grandma survived Auschwitz. And 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 um, my job was to catalog um, the testimonies of these Holocaust survivors. I probably watched you know hundreds of testimonies and cataloged them. And wow. and um, it really you know I'll, I'll circle back on it, but but it left a very lasting impression in terms of you know 
humanity, what humanity is capable of and some of the lessons from that period of history. And so, mm-hmm. um, so, so that was like my youth, um, did that kind of probably through my bar mitzvah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I kind of got a little bit into computers and computer consulting when windows 95 came out. <laughs> and, um, and then I started, you know, uh, uh, the, the first real kind of, you know, I know that you really have a focus on, um, you know, what are really pivotal points yeah. in, in people's time. Yeah. So, so my dad, um, didn't work for a year around when I was 13 and, and he did some consulting work, but basically by the time we were 16, I would say, um, you know, we, we were having, you know, my parents were very much focused on doing good and, mm-hmm. and more, less so than doing well. Right. And, um, and we kind of ran out of money mm-hmm. and my mom, you know, my mom and dad divorced, you know, I think, you know, you could argue my mom left my dad, mm-hmm. you know, we lost our house. Um, so I got a second mortgage and then lost our house and it was my dad's dream house. And looking back, man, we really did have a wonderful house and I, I never really appreciated it enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and my dad had a heart attack the day we lost our house and I walked in on my dad on his office floor. I was 16 years old and he was purple. Wow. And, you know, we took him to the hospital and I remember it was like November, 2020. And I remember really vividly this, you know, thinking to myself, man, like, you know, I have all these friends whose parents are lawyers or bankers or doctors mm-hmm. or kind of anything and no one's losing their house right? and having these kinds of issues. And so I decided I'm going to become a capitalist mm-hmm. and forget that do good stuff. And I'm going to do well and, you know, own my own finances. And I started, I looked for a job and got a job at a coffee shop. And mm-hmm. if I wasn't in school, I was at that coffee shop working and I worked kind of 24 seven. Um, everyone associated me as the coffee bean guy. Um, and I really enjoyed it. And yeah. I, and I really enjoyed, you know, the efficiencies of it and improving the schedule and improving the ordering. And right. I, I got I convinced some of my friends to work there and eventually became the system manager and then the general manager. And mm-hmm. then went to college. And while I was in college, I opened up a store a couple blocks away and then opened up a bunch of stores. Mm-hmm. And, uh, by the time I, you know, finished USC at 20, um, you finished USC business school at 24. By the time I, before I finished USC business school, I was overseeing, um, 22 shows, 22 shops, you know, $19 million in revenue, give or take 400 people. Mm-hmm. Um, and really had a same premise as lemonade, you know, like yeah. I had my revenue, I had my cost of goods sold. I had my labor, maybe some rent and some other utilities, but that was the basic premise of the business. Yeah. Much more overhead, but more yeah, overhead, same yeah. concept. Some same of the same concept. employees, maybe I, yeah. I, I, I don't think <laughs> kind of grew up with me. And so, um, so, so yeah, so, so that, you know, I was in the coffee game. My friends at USC, mm-hmm. uh, I joke that USC is the fastest way to get a couple hundred thousand dollars in student loans. Um, <laughs> yes. It, it's not inexpensive. And, and um, my friend started a t-shirt company selling t-shirts. Mm-hmm. Um, I joined as the fifth partner and we bootstrapped that business to around $37 million in revenue and, and sold it to a publicly traded company. It took me you know, to New York and mm-hmm. to London as a product manufacturing business uh, by the end. And um and that was like the experience of a life building that company. I got, there's a lot of different stories I can give mm-hmm. um, about about that thing, and, and and they really are fun. Um, but you know, w- you know, while doing that, we had I, at one point opened up a nightclub. Yeah. At one point, I had a condom subscription service. Um, neither of those worked out, but both <laughs> were good experiences, and happy I did it. Uh-huh. Um, and and uh, invested and started investing in some real estate and some startups and, and, and kind of really got into a variety of forays of right. business. And um, I, you know, I when I was in London, um, you know, here I was, 30 years old. I decided to have a 30th birthday in, in the south of France and mm-hmm. invite 77 of my closest friends. Yeah. This is five day thing. And kind of looking back, it was kind of like a mini wedding for myself. Yeah. And and I remember waking up the day after my 30th birthday mm. in the 
presidential suite of the Carlton Hotel in Cannes. And with a wonderful girl who's not the right, we were not, you know, not the right person for me long-term mm -hmm. and thinking to myself, you know, what am I doing with my life? Mm -hmm. And really, you know, I remember, you know, my parents had a real focus in Judaism. There's a thing called tikkun olam, which means repair the world. Okay. Like, you know, humans are here. We're born into existence with the purpose of repairing the world, making the world better than it was that we were brought we into. Yeah. And, and I'd lost that, you know, I'd, I'd really just focused on a kind of, um, making money and being financially independent and traveling and kind of living, um, uh, indulge the finer things in life mm -hmm. and, and really lacked depth, yeah. in, you know, and purpose. Yep. Um, and I decided, man, here I am 30 years old. I don't want to wake up at 40 feeling the same way. Yeah. And so I called up my partners. I took a sabbatical. I moved to Israel, uh, took the summer off and, and cleared my head. And by the end of the summer, I realized I, I didn't want to do this anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to do something more mission driven, but at the same time I moved to Israel in July of 2014 and, and uh, war broke out with Gaza like five days later. Mm -hmm. And so Israel kind of shut down. Right. Uh, so I had some time on my hands while I was there. And one of the companies I'd invested in asked me to come on board to help them, you know, grow. And so I started doing some consulting with them. It was a mobile user acquisition business helping apps launch essentially. And we actually launched the, the dating app Bumble and Uber mm -hmm. and a bunch of others. And, and uh, by the end of summer, they convinced me to be the president. Now, remember, I wasn't, I wasn't looking for another big startup opportunity. I was kind of really trying to do something more, but hey, you know, here I am and and uh, this is what I know and they asked me to run it and it, it was interesting and intellectually interesting. And so came on board to run that. You know, that company really took off. You know, under two years was at $16 million in revenue. You know, wow. 45 people across four countries. I mean, it really was a sprint mm -hmm. and fun. Um, and that took me back to New York. And, you know, I got to New York in the beginning of 15, 2015, Hillary Clinton, uh, President, uh, Secretary Clinton, um, I had a Freudian slip. Uh, Secretary <laughs> Clinton uh, announced her campaign in April of 2015. And I joined as like the fifth volunteer or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I would go there, you know, many days a week, you know, probably 15, 20 hours a week volunteering um, while running this company. Mm -hmm. and, 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 that, and and I felt a sense of kind of doing good and doing well. Yeah. Um, as I, was, I really believed in, in what yeah, I felt, felt and still do feel she was the most qualified person to ever ran for president. And it would have been an amazing thing for America and, and the world to have a, a female leader of the free world. Mm -hmm. um, if you look at COVID, it was all the female leaders that I felt actually handled the best. Mm -hmm. um, and and I kind of built up, the, was building the company and was working on the campaign. And um, I went to the Democratic National Convention and it was, I can't remember offhand what the order was. Maybe the Republican National Convention was first. But I watched the RNC and went to the DNC and I was watching the RNC and and uh, and listening to Laura Ingram and listening to Rudy Giuliani mm -hmm. and listening to, you know, it's Christie and then eventually Trump. Um, to me, I had this kind of out-of-body experience. Yeah. I, I, um, I mean, this is another kind of real moment of real change in direction. Mm -hmm. um, I remembered those videos I I watched as a child volunteering at the show foundation cataloging these holocaust testimony holocaust survivor testimonies as to you know people asked why no one left 1930s germany or what was going on then and they said you know it wasn't that you know hitler was this horrible person or the nazi party was a horrible, horrible person because like here in america you know we have right-wing folks we have right. anti-semites we have racists yep. um but it it was that it was normalized by the rest of society who right. just didn't, who just went to work. Yep. Um, who just did nothing. Yep. In action. In action. Yep. You know, I think 
you know, Dr. Martin Luther King kind of said something along the lines of like, you know, the problem with society is, is, is not the problem with society, this many, but mm-hmm. you know, is the moderate. Right. You know, the moderate who says, you know, I stand for something better, but I'm not really going to do anything. Right. I, 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 this isn't what I believe in, but it, well, you know, I'm, I'm only a moderate. What am I going to do? Yep. And, and even though Secretary Clinton was up by like nine points at the time, I, I told my board, well, actually I told my board we should move the whole company to Wisconsin. And they told me, you're, you're, you're crazy. You're, you're, yeah. you're not really in the right place to run the company probably. Um, so I moved to Wisconsin because I couldn't live with myself if I didn't, mm. if somehow, you know, Trump became president yeah. and he did. Yeah. And so, you know, it's what I needed to do and I'm happy I did it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, we lost by 11,000 votes in Wisconsin. You know, I, I, I can honestly say there's probably more we could have done, I could have done. And it's something I, you know, really think about. Mm. And after we lost, I couldn't get myself to go back to my startup. Um, well, I briefly ran for mayor of New York on on uh, social and economic justice and generational led change, which is a great story for another day. Mm. Um, but happy I did that, but happy I dropped out. Um, a big lesson that, there for me was uh, I'm very comfortable talking to you about what we should do to help people. Right. Um, but talking to the people, you know, on my way here, I was walking with a colleague and man, I might even get emotional if I say this, so I gotta be careful. But there was a family behind the baseball stadium, behind One Oak Field, mm-hmm. of a mother and a father and their two kids, um, dressed pretty roughly. One of the kids didn't have shoes, the other kid was kind of crying because his shoes didn't fit. Yep. You know, the parents didn't look like they were doing well, mm-hmm. to say the least. And and man, is you know, when I was ran for office, both in working for Secretary Clinton as well as running myself, like those are the people we want to help. Right. And I could talk to you all day about the things that we should do to help those people. Mm-hmm. But could I go up to them mm-hmm. right there and then or in general and say, hey, you know, vote for me right. and I'm going to help you get out of this place that you are. I'm going to help you get unstuck from the circumstance that you're in, that your kids are in. And like, even I might have the best of intentions, you you got to really believe you can deliver on that kind of promise. Yep. You look can, you actualize can you actualize it? Can you actualize it? Like, and, and to me, the burden of that self-doubt of um, wondering if I, you know, what, you know, somehow if I end up becoming the mayor, what if these folks' lives are worse? Right. I mean, there's a non-zero chance of that. You know, who am I to run a $90 billion budget with 400,000 people? You have to right. really, you know, really believe even with the best of intentions that you can actually deliver on the promises that you're, that you're desiring to. And so, so I dropped out. Yeah. Um, and that was probably the lowest point of my life. Mm. Um, you know, I barely could leave my house for six weeks, which if you, if you know me, I'm pretty extroverted. Yeah. I, I could barely stay in my house for six minutes yeah. normally. Yeah. How and, long did you run? Um, I ran for four months and four days. Okay. Um, and I, you know, I had a 30, seven full-time staff, six part-time staff, 40, 40 interns, two op- campaign offices. I mean, it was a little operation. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I ran, I ran a bunch of events, raised a bunch of money. I'm happy I did it and I'm happy I dropped out. And, and um, it was a very dark, you know, you, you know, and you know, I didn't know where to go next is, is the best way to describe it. Yeah. Um, I actually had to someone that booked me a ticket. I never went on a vacation by myself ever, except for after that, someone booked me a flight to Mexico to go see the beach and just get space yeah. and, and, and find yourself. And I did. Yeah. Um, and I came back and I got, did some consulting and a little more investing and I kind of built back up my confidence, but in a way I was kind of probably more open. You know, I've, I've, I've got the pleasure of introducing 12 married couples, um, <laughs> 21 children, 21 and a half children from those couples have been born as one in process right now. Wow. And, um, and one of those couples was a gal from Tulsa. Mm-hmm. And maybe I can almost say, you know, the world's an interesting place because I don't know if I would have been as open to visiting a place like Tulsa if I was in my normal 
you know, state of mind in New York City. I right. mean, as a coastal elite, you yeah, know? yeah. Um, <laughs> but I visited Tulsa, yeah. and you know, the gathering place was a year away from being open, and mm -hmm. the arts district just opened thirty six degrees north, and some apartments, and yep. it like kind of felt like some momentum was building. Mm -hmm. And um, I got connected to the George Kaiser Family Foundation, and and at the time, you know, ninety nine percent of their philanthropy was here, but ninety nine point nine percent of their investment was not here, and they're doing nothing early stage. And mm. you know, one of the big lessons for me from Wisconsin was. You know, Milwaukee and Madison were doing fine, but when you went to like Oshkosh and Green Bay, you could see beat up houses yep. and empty factories. And yep. like, you could see like, you know, people felt left behind. Yeah. And in places like Tulsa, you know, fossil fuel based industry, old industry, like, you know, making America great again, looking back at some of these older industries, like I could see how that would resonate. It looked bleak. Yeah. yeah. And mm -hmm. so, so helping GKFF think through the early stage investment strategy, how to diversify the economy, how to keep the, the smart, talented, you know, young people from leaving because mm -hmm. um, you have a huge brain drain and like those kinds of things. And then doing so through the lens of a, a founder and, mm -hmm. a, and, a, and a startup investor. And so, you know, together we kind of started doing some local strategies and some local investing. And then we built a Tenso Capital, which, you know, invest in, you know, we said we unlock unsung potential through financial and human capital and bridging networks and, and we really say, you know, there's a huge swath of, you know, most simply, talent is distributed evenly in society, both geographically, racially, gender-wise, but mm -hmm. opportunity is not. It's not. That's right. And and if we can help focus on the places that have the same talent, mm -hmm. um, you know, places and people that have the same talent but have the same opportunity, there's right. up, you know, there's economic upside in that, and also the ability to unlock real potential in that. Absolutely. And so that's what we do. It's yeah. fun. And it's, and it's meaningful. And it really is, hopefully, I like to think of the intersection of doing good and doing well. Yeah. Um, which to me is like, and it's nice, you know, there's now 12 members of my family in Tulsa. I joke we're 1% of the Jewish community or <laughs> population. And, but, but that, you know, allows me to both, you know, play a, 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 a role to help with the finances of my family as well as to kind of honor the tradition and values that I was raised by and by my parents and Judaism as a whole of, of tikkun olam. And so, so that's how I spend my time, man. That's a long story. No, it was great. Oh, oh, it, okay. it was great. We can go home now. It was good. <laughs> no, well, thank you for taking us through that timeline. It, it, it's such a powerful story, Mike. And I've told you this a million times. Let me tell you again, you need to write a book. Yeah. All right. It's now documented. You need to write a book. Um, so I, I want, I want to go back to the clips that you had to watch of the Holocaust survivors. Mm. All right. Um, I'm intrigued by how those images or the, the, the sum of those images have, bu has bubbled up in your life at different times. Right. I want you to speak a little bit to the, I, I want to look at that as, as an investment in you. Right. Because you said you became this capitalist, you know, you're, you're, you're from your from selling lemonade to selling coffee to selling whatever. Right. But that was really an investment into your character to to have to as a child uh, chronicle these things or to, to catalog these things. And then for it to bubble up years later on, like it, it, it was a grounding. It sounds like it was a grounding point in your life. Can you speak a little bit to to that from an investment lens, like how who, how that was an investment into who you are as a person, having to do that that role? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think it's interesting. Like, I think what an interesting society it might be if we organized collectively to have like old age homes have like 
structured babysitting of like six to 10 year olds in which like the old people would get the stimulation from the kids. Right. And the kids would get to hear, listen to stories yeah. about the old people yes. and like the, like the experience transfer and the empathy that it would like give the children would be kind of priceless and right. give purpose to the old people. And like, what a, what a yep. kind of no brainer. Right. Yeah. And I think like, especially as I look at my life for the most part throughout, I've always been very fast moving, hard mm -hmm. charging, mm -hmm. not leaving a ton of time for headspace. Um, which is maybe not something I, I should really work on. Um, and so, you know, that experience where most of my friends were either at camp or at the mall mm -hmm. or um, playing video games. Yeah. Here I was like in a dark room, like cataloging, you know, these videos of, of pretty heavy things. Mm. Um, and I, I, I do, you know, I, I, I don't know if there's trauma from it, but I do think there's, it's led me to, I mean, it truly did. It was an out-of-body experience that I had to go to work for. It had to be. Like it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't something I, like I had, I, I had to. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, when, when we, 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 in the state of Oklahoma banned abortion in June with Dodds, mm -hmm. or I guess the Supreme Court had Dodds and stayed in the state of, you know, passed abortion. I remember my daughter, um, Olivia was born, I think, a week after that. Mm -hmm. We had her baby, did a baby naming, and I was in tears. And it's like, you know, here will be all of these poor women that won't have control over their bodies, mm -hmm. all of these kids who will be born into really rough circumstances that, that will have a society that's not really doing much to help them once they're born. Yeah. And and God forbid, you know, my daughter has you know, there's a woman gets pregnant and there's complications, et cetera. It's like, it's not even, not in all situations can they even get the access to the healthcare they need. Yeah. And, and so I did the best I could and I'm still doing the best I can to try is that, you know, and I, I am on this, on a, with a group of people that are like working on brainstorming and actioning different things to make progress in female reproductive healthcare. Mm -hmm. And I might be, I might be the only straight white male on that, you know, group. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, I feel like it is my obligation, our obligation as a society, as someone that is least personally impacted to, yeah. to take deep action to try and fight for those that are most personally impacted. Absolutely. And as a society, you know, that is what didn't happen um, in the 1930s and 40s in Germany. Mm -hmm. um, and like that, like some of those lessons, you know, the, the older I get, the more I realize how little I know. Mm. And the older I get, the more I realize that, and especially if you listen to a lot of things now about empires falling, et cetera, mm -hmm. and the United States is, and I'm getting economic, so I'll get off it. But, <laughs> but, but his, there's much to be learned from history. There is. And, and so, yeah, watching, you know, if you are watching 100, 100 plus firsthand, two hour plus testimonies of a period of time from different perspectives and different learnings and mm -hmm. different the areas of focus and ways and, and overlaps and differences um, really gave a pretty specific insight mm -hmm. and worldview on takeaway of a, uh, that is always in somewhere my mind or soul of yeah. a factor in decisions. Yeah. And, and I think different people, have different versions of that for themselves. And yeah. I think it's important to connect to that yeah. and know that that's within you and, and, and incorporate that, how it 
makes the most sense for you. Absolutely. One of the things I appreciate about you most, Mike, is that uh, you know how to win. And you you know how to even make things that don't work still a win. A lot of people struggle with that, right? When you look at the wins of the, of the stories you just told or the, the timeline you just laid out, um, how do you how do you prepare yourself for the next thing um, that you're going to go into? Because it sounds like your wins are not necessarily prescribed, but they happen organically. Like you, you know, the guys with the t-shirt business and, you know, you're the fifth person in, right. You didn't, you weren't the one with the idea, but you were brought into the idea. Yeah. Right. So like, you, you know how to position yourself for these wins. How do you, how do you, what, what is the mindset you go into, into the next journey? I guess is what I'm asking you. How do you go into the, the journey and prepare for it? Being that you have this track record of winning. So winning is an interesting and subjective. Um, winning is a subjective term. Term, yeah. And I think the term is win is only defined by how you define the game that you're you're in. playing. Yep. And so, like, so you know, life isn't linear. Mm-hmm. There's for, I have friends that might have more. There's people in my fraternity who are the same age as me that are billionaires mm-hmm. that have had huge professional success. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you know, and there's people who might not have made so much money, but have four or five kids and mm-hmm. live a very religious life. Yep. And they have, you know, huge, you know, fulfillment and winning from, from that. Yep. Um, and, and there's also, there's also people who, might say they have the best quality of life. Correct. And like, and they, and they have no interest in having kids and they know just making money, but they work out a ton and live super healthy and on, on kombucha and yoga and all the things. Mm-hmm. And so I think like defining, like get, getting in touch with yourself and not the influences of society mm-hmm. and focusing on what winning is to you. You know, right. I grew up in LA and LA normally winning is like kind of how you're connected to entertainment. Mm-hmm. Who do you know? Are you going to the latest premiere? What TV shows are you watching? That's a whole life there. Yes. And I realized at some point in time, um, between living in New York and London and everywhere else, that that's not what winning was for me. For you, and, exactly. And, and actually, Tulsa for me, um, I realized, like, I think if you're trying to maximize, I believe as a society, we owe it to ourselves, our families, our community to maximize mm-hmm. our human potential. Yeah. And to help others maximize theirs. Absolutely. Which you're in the business of. Yep. Like, that's what you're, how you're spending your time yep. aligned. Yep. Um, I don't think there's a better place on earth if you are passionate about that thing than he, Tulsa, Oklahoma mm-hmm. to uh, pursue that. Yeah. And and so for me, I'm surrounded by also lots of people like you and, and Jesse mm-hmm. um, who who also do that. Right. And, and it creates a society and a culture here around that. And like, yeah. I feel at, at, at home here. Yeah. And so, so like, I look at all of the things I've done and some of them have worked incredibly well. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them have totally not. But like, for example, we launched this like condom subscription service, worst idea. Um, <laughs> I really appreciate my brother. My brother's the one that actually physically launched it. I funded it and like helped guide it. Uh-huh. And, but what was the impetus for that? Let me let me. So yeah. so when I we had this product manufacturing business, I saw the Dollar Shave Club commercial. 
Okay. And I'm like, wow, Michael Dubin lives in LA. I live in LA. My name is Michael also. I'm going to find this guy. Got it. And I get in touch with him like two days later. Mm-hmm. Get to meet him like a week later. I'm like, hey, like, let me make your handles for you. He's like, no, I have my handles sorted by these guys in Korea, but you can make my razor blades. And I was like, all right, like blades. So make blades for him. Like kind of, I think $140,000 worth of blades, some number like that. Mm-hmm. And send him an invoice. He's like, I can pay you in cash or stock. And if we would have taken stock, it sold for a billion dollars like two years ago or three years ago. If we would have oh. taken the stock, it would have been like something like $40 million. Wow. And it took $130,000 or $40,000 <laughs> cash. Right? To get rid of you. So like I, that, that might not be considered a win. Right. But I learned a big lesson on that. Right. Of like, I need to get smart about venture capital yeah. and equity and all these things I was not smart about. Yeah. And one. Mm-hmm. And and so so going into this condom subscription service, um, you know, the same premise of like, okay, well, buying condoms is kind of embarrassing, kind of annoying. Mm-hmm. And like, we can just like ship it to you once a month and you can keep it in your drawer and we can make it cool and mm-hmm. da, da, da. And, you know, we we didn't do enough customer discovery and it turns out like, you know, some people, the, the most people like are in relationships or most people get in a relationship and at some point they cancel the subscription or, subscription, mm-hmm. or most people um, have un- unpredictability uh, lack yeah. of predictability when on how often they meet. Yeah, 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 yeah. So like everyone inevitably canceled too much churn. Right. Didn't make sense. Right. But the lesson, and so we launched it, we had a bunch of customers, but we churned too much. And and the lesson was we didn't do enough customer discovery. Yeah. And so now every time I talk to a startup, I really push on, like it was a real, it was an expensive lesson, but a good lesson. And yeah. both those lessons, you know, I, you know, A, you're young as long as you want to continue to learn, exactly. I, I believe. But I was relatively in the spectrum of the average human young, under 30 for both of those lessons. And, and and so you know now here I am I know about investing in startups and equity is that's what I do for a living and the companies I I work with I can talk to them about my personal failures and do the lack of customer discovery and hopefully they don't have to make the same mistake yeah and so and so even though those are both clear losses and watching one which I could have like tens of millions of dollars and the other one I would have saved you know low six figures and a bad company idea mm-hmm. like I've probably like I've been able to make a career from those lessons right. And yeah. so it's still, I think, a huge win. It is a win. It is a win. And, and that's what I mean by the wins. I, real quick, I wanted to ask you, did you all consider pivoting from the condom subscription to maybe feminine product subscription? Because it is more routine and it is more, did you, it never. I think that's probably a way better idea. Yeah. And I think I just didn't, I like. You're just thinking about from your lens. From my brother and I, yeah. both single guys. Um, it wasn't, it, it was, it was a good failure. Yes. Cause I think like now, but I think now I, I think now knowing what I know now, I'd go, I'd hopefully find, and we've invested in, um, a business called Sunny Period, which mm-hmm. is a, you know, a, a menstrual tech business. Yep. And, and so we now like, that's where we've gone versus mm-hmm. condoms for yeah. a variety of reasons. And we've invested in people who are better and smarter than us right. um, in, in Cindy and Drew to, to lead the business. Nice. Yep. L- much less pressure too, right? Yeah. So uh, one, I have a couple I have a couple questions and then we'll wrap up. I, I wanted to ask you, you know, as we talk about these pivotal times, when I first met you, you were not a father. You were, ju- you were newly married, but not a father. And so, um, you know, you're growing this startup uh, venture fund, you know, Tinto Capital. Um, <clears throat> newly married, and then you you understand that you're going to become a father. How has fatherhood evolved you as a pivotal point? How has it evolved you as a man and as a business leader? 
Man, I mean, fatherhood is a real... <laughs> so many different components to yeah, it. Yeah. Um, it's reduced my sleep. Okay. <laughs> um, I mean, look, I've got this amazing son. Um, you know, I run on the treadmill. He runs on the treadmill. Like, he, like, will do... He just kind of does everything. Simba Mufasa. Huh? Everything I yeah. want to... Exactly. Like yeah. Everything. Actually, playing Lion King for him now because it's coming to town. But <laughs> but he'll do anything I'm doing. It just duplicates it. It's kind of crazy. And yeah. then my daughter just wants to be with me. Oh. And it's like, man, she gets so excited when I pick her off and, and, and her face lights up when I smile at her. And it's mm-hmm. like, it's going to be hard when it doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, it's, um, it's hard. You want to do all you can. There's, there's unlimited amounts you could pour into kids. Right. Um, and like, it's, I think I struggle with the balance of like, I also want to do all I can for society. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, there's a heavy weight in the, you know, investing in humans, both the people that work with us, the people that we physically write a check to invest in their startups. And, you know, you want to know you've done all you can for them and you want yeah. to know you've done all you can for your kids and, and the balance of that and your own health and, and kind of is my Achilles seal and where I really struggle. Yeah. Um, and so like, I just, I really like live with lots of, you know, a decent amount of guilt of like wondering if I'm doing enough for my kids and, I, mm-hmm. and getting, you know, how do I divide my time between the priorities of like, want to give these kids all I can. And then also like knowing that, you know, we're investing in people that also have their own kids that are going through stressful times in their startups. And we want to make sure we do all they can to help them as well. What yeah. about their kids? Yeah. And um, that is, that's a heavy weight. It is. It is. Has do you think you know in leading the fund? Do you feel like you have become more tolerant or um, more? Have you cultivated people more as you begin to you know become a father and you know, a, a leader? Has it developed you at all as a leader? I would say the arc of my leadership style. You know, if you look at Bamco, which is the main the main company my career is like nine years or something mm-hmm. um that company had five white men that owned it and leaded it and then went to six um and in uh, i mean as far as i can think of everyone in leadership that wasn't in physically china india or brazil was like a white male mm-hmm. and a very top-down leadership style yeah and um in we made it work, but I don't think it was necessarily equitable. Yeah. And, and, and in the end, like few people received much of the proceeds of that exit. Mm-hmm. And it was a real miss. And and I, and it was where myself as like, it was one of the moments where like, I really realized I just didn't see eye to eye with, with my partners in that respect. And, yeah. and, and, and um, though they're great, great guys um, with Atento and like the way I see the world now, you know, if you look at our leadership team, it's very diverse. It's majority diverse. Yeah. female. Yep. I think it's majority minority. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that comes a variety of opinions. Mm-hmm. And I, I would argue, you know, I've got influence, but I would argue, I, I don't know if I'm, I'm, I'm in charge of this thing. You know, it, it, it is, it is, you know, we have a leadership team. Yes. Um, and I think we kind of, holistically must align on big decisions and directions because I won't be able to keep the talent I have. Right. If I'm just unilaterally making decisions now. Right. And so with that, you know, we have strong voices on work-life balance. We have strong voices on, on, you know, vacation or other policies that, you know, maybe left to my own unilateral worldview, 
It would, wouldn't be in yeah. the same way. And I think that's a good thing. It's a perfect thing. E- even yeah. though I'm not in agreement with all the things we do. Right. I, I, I like the fact that we have the right voices helping us decide of them. And yeah. I don't need to be in agreement of every decision. I need to agree with the framework and the whys and the outcomes. The and bottom so, line. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so, and so I, I, I've evolved because of the leadership team we have. And I think it's, I'm very grateful for that. That's good. That's, that's, that's a perfect answer. I want to bring into focus uh, some of the things that have been going on with you lately and how you've been able to navigate, you know, leading um, this, this fund as it's evolving and, and blossoming. And then, you know, also the work-life balance of that. So, you know, you talked a little bit about wanting to give more to your children, knowing you have to give more to the world. Um, and then how does that, how has that played out in your physical life or your, the stresses that come along with that? Like how, how, how are you, how are you working through that? Yeah. So, I mean, I think because I, I have a strong sense of purpose in what I do for a living Mm -hmm. and I take, I don't take lightly the responsibility that comes with being a decision maker on investment decisions. And many people want the time because they want an opportunity to be considered for investment. Mm -hmm. And I also love people and I want to give people time. And I also love our founders and want to do all I can to help them. You know, I might end up working if unchecked, you know, 60 to 80 hours a week, many weeks. And it doesn't feel like work. Right. Now there's times, and because my expectations are high on work product and because like I, I, I believe doing big things is hard and hard work is good. It pays off. Yeah. 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 That there's times that I think my expectations can be maybe unrealistic of others or, or, or my, you know, it's interesting. Like I share the same birthday with Elon Musk. How weird. (laughs) And actually, unfortunately I I drive a Tesla, but I really have not, he's gone very far from home for me and I would not buy anything else to support him. Um, but he is notorious for setting really high expectations, really rapid timetables. Mm-hmm. And he misses many of them. Yeah. Um, but he pushes his people really hard and like expects all these crazy hours, et cetera. And he works all these crazy hours and, and, um, but the people do like life changing work and mm-hmm. world changing work. And so there's a component of me left, left solely to my, like if I didn't marry the woman I married, it was a very good counterbalance to that. Mm-hmm. Like that's what I would be doing as a single person. It's right. just like, I'd be running an organization Relentless. like that. Yeah. And, and, um, and so I got really, you know, an awakening on April 3rd this year. So two months ago, mm-hmm. um, I woke up without some, some vision in my right eye and it turns out I go to the doctor and I had this basically a stroke mm. and, um, very humbling experience. And, it wasn't directly reduced, directly associated with stress. Turns out I'm hypercoagulable, which means I have thick blood and I need to be on blood thinners. Mm-hmm. And my dad and his dad and his, his uncle all had heart attacks in their 40s and 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 two died before they were 50, one 46 and one 56. And, and, and so, you know, it was genetic, but but it didn't help that I was necessarily very stressed um, around the time the incident happened, I'm sure, and, and not sleeping enough and all the things. And so, so I've, you know, a, I, I, I owe it to my family to be around mm-hmm. and I, I gotta put myself, you know, I gotta put myself in a position to be there for the long haul right. and, and pace myself out and understand that, you know, 
humans have limits. Yes. And and so I'm trying to reframe my work at a 50-hour cap per week. Mm-hmm. It's led, I have an out of office on my inbox just because <laughs> people don't yeah. wonder what's going on with me. Right. Um, and it's an adjustment. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's just pros that, you know, it's, it's forcing a level of moderation. Um, and, I, and I think that I have a team that is probably, you know, Tulsa's culturally more on the work-life balance than my New York for sure walk and talk pace yeah and um i think that's that that could be a good thing Mm -hmm. yeah especially in this in this this climate my last question and then we'll do a call to action um throughout all these these ups and downs and ebbs and flows um how how do you or how have you held on to hope like what 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 do you pull on what is your source how do you hold on to hope when it doesn't work and you know you run for mayor and it's all falling apart and you feel embarrassed or you're at your highest point and you had an exit or you know you had the birth of your child or like whatever whatever your your high points are right how do you how do you hold on to hope so i'll speak macro cuz i think i spend more of my time in the macro than the micro mm-hmm. like societal things like climate change or Democracy or <laughs> humanity. Yeah, we see what you spend your time on, right? <laughs> and, 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 and so, you know, you look at the moment right now on on Earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you know, you've got a democracy as a whole is is a, is a, is a concept is is a good form of government is struggling here and abroad. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got a quickly warming climate. With that, you've got climate migration. And, all sorts of complications with that. You've got war, more war, more regions in various forms of war than any other time, at least in my life. Um, and the possibility of like, you know, some kind of nuclear mm-hmm. situation kind of unfolding in a variety of places could happen, you know? So there's a lot that could go wrong. The U.S. has a huge amount of debt. I mean, there's a bunch of complex issues happen in the world. Mm-hmm. It's like very easy sometimes to, Failing healthcare, failing education. I mean, you, 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 I can keep going. And so sometimes I think to myself, man, like, you know, there's so many challenges for society right now. How is this ever going to work? And is what I'm even working on enough to even help? Mm-hmm. Um, and on the flip side, you know, when I'm, when I'm in a better headspace, which is most of the time, I think to myself, you know, human beings are a resilient species. Mm-hmm. And I think I have to believe that even though we have these existential challenges and some of these things on climate change or AI or whatever it is, that we are going to, as a society and as a species, solve these issues Mm. and continue to evolve because we have to. Mm. And it might look, it will look different, et cetera. And as an individual, I can either be part of some contribution to doors on a societal level to those solutions or stand by or and do nothing mm-hmm. or be part of the problem. Right. And so I do my best to play a small contributing role mm-hmm. to hopefully the, you know, the humanity going in more of the right direction than the wrong direction and hoping if everyone else is also playing a small contributing role, yeah. then that will start to add up and snowball into the right direction as a species. Mm-hmm. And, and hopefully the best possible outcome that of the various different possible outcomes we could have. Nice. Okay. That's fair enough. 
What? How do people read you? How? What? What is your call to action? Um, I'm really easy on LinkedIn. My, my, Mike or Michael Bosch. Uh, I think it's Mike Bosch. Um, B A B A S C H. I'm on email. M at attentocapital.com. Um, and yeah, look, I think what, what you're doing new is is, is awesome. Thanks. And I think you know my wife went through the program. Many of my friends have went through the program. Mm-hmm. I think like helping people find their purpose and and passion and how to spend their time and and it's, you know what they want to do professionally, et cetera, is such a core thing to people's personal well-being mm-hmm. and their ability to contribute to society. Yeah. And so really grateful, truly. And, and thank you for having me on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for being here. Um, Mike, You, I'll tell you all the time that, you know, I appreciate the call that you made to Pittsburgh to find me. And um, lucky we, to have you. Yeah, man. It it, it was. It's been three years. It'll be three years June, in a couple of weeks. June thirteenth, maybe. Uh, like I moved June here seventeenth. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. But uh, it's been a pleasure, man. And I'm I'm really grateful for the blueprint that you've given me, as well as the encouragement and support that you've given me with all of my endeavors. Um, it 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 doesn't go unnoticed, and uh, it's with much gratitude. Uh, I really appreciate you, man. The feeling is mutual. Thank you. Absolutely. So you just heard another edition of New Voices. I want you all to make sure that you uh, subscribe, like, and share this, as well as follow us on our social media, uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Thanks so much for listening. listening to this episode of New Voices. Visit our website at www.newutulsa.com. That is N-E-W-U Tulsa.com. Follow us on social media at New U Tulsa on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And a special thank you to our producer, Jesse Ulrich. If you're looking for self-improvement, join our free cohorts for personal and professional development opportunities. New U is a way for diverse talent to imagine, discover, and actualize a 2.0 version of yourself. Bring your future into focus.